Greetings. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 33 of the Legacy Drawing Board, the podcast journey and experience that wants you to build a stronger, more meaningful legacy by embracing good design principles. I'm your host, Ron Fong, and I welcome the audience, whether you're new or a longtime listener, I thank you for your time. I want to be always clear in terms of the focus of this podcast. It comes down to three parts. One is the vision. That's to have people see themselves in the world through the lens of legacy design and building. Two is the mission, to introduce people into the world of design and have them emerge as storytellers. And finally, the purpose. There's a perpetual need for leadership, and that calls us to edify uh, each other through enduring relationships. This episode will talk about the pivot, the changes that we make in life, whether it's because of our own volition or beyond, or because of circumstances beyond our control. And you think about all that's been going on in the last three or four years. You think about maybe the personal changes that you've gone through. Perhaps you've graduated from college, you moved out of the house, you got married, you started a new job, or unfortunately for many of us, you've been fired from a job. All these things uh, lend itself in terms of change, and change is difficult. As human nature, we don't like change, but that's going to be part of a legacy is how do we initiate change and how do we handle change? This episode, I'll be interviewing Dr. Leslie Tamura, who began as a journalist and is now a physician. We'll examine her story of how she got from point A to point B, how she planned it, certain things that she didn't plan, and we'll use this as an example of how to work with change and how to make that pivot in your life and still have it be consistent with how you want to build your legacy. Well, today I have a guest for the uh, Legacy Drawing Board podcast, and I want to thank my guest, Dr. Leslie Tremura, for taking time from her very busy schedule to share her insights in terms of uh, legacy and leadership. So, Leslie, welcome to the Legacy Drawing Board. Thank you. Well, Leslie, we uh, to full disclosure, you and I have known each other probably for about four, four or five years now. I know, it's crazy. Shoot, yeah. time flies. <laughs> it does, especially during the pandemic. Uh-huh. <laughs> but before you became Dr. Leslie Tamura, you were journalist Leslie Tamura. Can you yeah. share with us what aspects of journalism interested you enough to pursue a career in it? What about journalism? Um, so I've always been interested in reading. I've always been interested in writing. I think... Um, but I've always been interested in medicine. I grew up in a family of healthcare providers. Um, me personally, I was like a pediatric patient, like in when I was age six, seven. Um, and that's when I kind of defined that I want to be in a field where I help people, where I help people feel better, where they like actually see them come in not so great and then leave a little bit better than they were. 
Um, but then as I continued my schooling um, in, in Fresno, California, um, I got more interested in writing, reading. Um, I think in high school, uh, one of my English teachers was like, oh, well, have you ever thought about law school? Have you ever thought about um, writing and publishing? And I had never really thought about it because I was always on this track, like, I'm, I'm going to be a doctor. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm going to be. Um, but it was my high school teacher, I want to say junior year, who was like, yeah, you have a talent, I guess. <laughs> Maybe you should start exploring that. At that time, I was part of the school, high school newspaper. Um, I was an editor. I kind of wrote about sports events, um, arts events at, at school, as well as like features on, on teachers and other students. Um, and then college, um, going into college, went to um, Wellesley um, out in the Massachusetts area. Um, I was uh, initially a bio major, um, but we have to do these core classes. It's a liberal arts school. Um, and at that time, I kind of found myself picking up more English classes and more uh, literature classes. And I really got focused into um, English literature, Victorian era, um, and just learning, kind of like satisfied my interest about um, history, society, um, and people. Um, and I think at the core of all of this, it's always been about people. Um, so I, I just started taking more and more English classes and I eventually became an English major bio minor at the end of it all. Um, and of course now it's like, I think maybe second or third year, I don't remember when people start preparing for med school, but um, I was like, you know what? I kind of want to pursue um, healthcare writing. Um, I was thinking like I would volunteer, I think at hospitals in the Wellesley area and the Boston area. I, I was like a, a big sister to um, uh, new adoptees in, in Chinatown. And um, I felt like healthcare literacy wasn't that great at that time. And so I, I found like this little interest in like telling people stories and taking scientific language and kind of interpreting it for lay people. Um, and at that time, I think Sanjay Gupta was probably becoming more and more popular. And I was like, oh, well, this there's a guy who does both medicine and writing. And is there, and it looks like now there's, there's this role model out there that I can start kind of modeling myself after. Um, and I, instead of pursuing med school, I <laughs> surprised my parents and I decided to apply for, for grad school at Northwestern, um, Medill School of Journalism. Um, and there they actually had a focus in health and science reporting. So after college, um, went into uh, health and science reporting with Northwestern. And I thought that's what I was gonna do. Um, so when I'm at Northwestern, focused on health and science reporting. And so part of like the curriculum of Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism is you do a little bit of everything. You do broadcasting, radio journalism, um, you do TV, um, you do online. And at that time, you also did newspaper writing. <laughs> so I enjoyed kind of, and so part of that training was you go out into, you have a beat, you pick a, a neighborhood, 
of Chicago that you find interesting um, and where you feel safe, I guess. Um, and I picked uh, West Rogers Park, um, part of Chicago near Loyola uh, University. Um, and so I, I would, you know, meet with civic leaders at that time and I would um, talk to them about what's going on in your neighborhood. Um, and from there, you kind of develop contacts, you develop relationships, um, and you find out kind of, initially, it's just like doing spot pieces on the local, what, I don't know, farmer's market or like an arts fair. Um, and then you start learning more about kind of what interests people. Um, and then you kind of find stories that might be of interest to your audience. And so at that time, we like to think of our audience as maybe like blue collar workers, um, maybe have a high school education um, and people who live in West Rogers Park. Um, and so I really enjoyed kind of getting out there, um, talking to people, <laughs> usually going to events and talking to people, but I also got into the habit of just like randomly going up to people <laughs> and talking with them and just learning kind of what was interesting to them. Um, it was only a year long program with Medill, um, but through that I was able to write stories for the Medill paper and then get connections with the Chicago Tribune um, and do like a, I did a big story at that time on um, what, what did I do it on like the difference like gender differences women men um, which I think is now becoming more and more of interest um, to mainstream media um, and then after and I graduated um, what else did I do during Medill I think I also oh um, they had us like have a capstone project. Um, and part of that was taught going to Indiana, uh, Bloomington, Indiana, Martinsville, Indiana, um, and kind of doing the same thing we were doing in Chicago, um, talking to people, learning about the, the neighborhood. But at that time, the capstone project was to develop something for this particular audience um, in Indiana. And so, <clears throat> When you're writing a story and you talked about making it interesting for your audience, what was your thought process in terms of crafting a story? Um, it We were taught the technical stuff about how to craft a story. Um, like there's the who, what, where, when, why, and how. Um, and then you always try and have like a hook at the beginning um, and then a little nut graph kind of summarizing what you want to say. And then at the end of that, you kind of want to make it matter to your audience. And so for us to really draw people into our stories, that's really, we had to have a good idea of what really mattered to our audience. And we had to really think about who's reading our, our stuff um, and what, what do they care about? That's how we would. And then hopefully the story would just kind of um, tell itself, um, because we're always keeping in mind our audience, our readers, um, and what matters to them. The storytelling skills that you picked up or developed as a journalist, uh, how does that play out in other areas of your life? So as a physician, um, I, when I, like, meet people for the first time, 
I oh. wait, can you ask the question? <laughs> sure. No, I was just wondering, you know, that's a great, I think storytelling is a great skill. It connects us with people, as you said, uh, what's important to other people. And obviously it's not limited to journalism. And here you are a physician or just you know everyday life. Do you find yourself drawing that drawing you know from that well of storytelling skill yeah um and yeah that's kind of the reason why i got back into into medicine um out of journalism was i was telling stories um about other people and not really affecting the story i guess um i wanted to kind of play a bigger role in helping people um so when i as a physician um Part of that is advocating, part of being a physician is advocating for your patients um, and being able to tell their story in a way that matters to um, specialists who are caring for these patients. So the nurses, um, to insurance companies, I guess, to legitimize what we're doing. Um, so when it comes to crafting a story, um, and you have to make sure the patient also feels invested in their own health care too. Um, and so part of that is not being so high level in, in medicine, kind of taking, let's say, when you say like heart failure, um, kind of making that mean something to someone who doesn't have an education about what does diastolic, systolic, hypertension, like all these, all these medical um, things make that mean something to the patient and their family so that hopefully down the road they understand what this means and that they'll do things in their lives to make sure that they don't get readmitted to the hospital things like that you're you were the head hospitalist at mercy general and then you went on now to become the co-vice chair of hospital medicine on people and culture with the uh, mercy medical group two positions of leadership what have you learned from those positions and what was the steep learning curve for those positions um yeah so i was site medical director for mercy general hospital i think maybe the second year barely the second year um that i was a hospitalist um i joined the group september 2018 um and right when I became shareholder, I became uh, the site medical director for Mercy General. Um, the reason I pursued that position at the time was, um, one, the job was there. <laughs> there was an opening. Um, and I decided to throw my hat in the ring. Um, but two, it was like, why am I interested in that? Um, personally, as a hospitalist, as a young hospitalist, um, I wanted to make life for the next hospitalist a little bit better um, and see what I could do from a leadership standpoint to kind of standardize the process to make orientation a little bit more structured, a little bit more supportive, um, see what I could do in terms of working with the hospital, uh, working with the, the nursing staff, with the hospital leadership to make my life selfishly as hospitalists, but as well as my colleagues' lives, a little bit easier and more efficient and more productive. Um, and at the end of the day, 
the reason you're, I'm doing all this is for patient care. Um, because if our lives are easier as physicians, hopefully that means we're able to provide easier or um, more supportive care to, to our patients. Um, so that's why I pursued the Mercy General's job and I got it. <laughs> and then COVID happens. <laughs> and so um, that was a, a steep learning curve, I guess, um, because really up until that point, I was still trying to get my bearings as a hospitalist. Um, like what, what's my workflow? How do I become more efficient in my documentation and in my billing? And now I'm leadership and I have to figure out not only how to make this easier for my colleagues um, and also figure out staffing and make sure that people feel supported. But now we have COVID and getting all these sick calls and getting all these exposure notices and what do we do next? Um, so during that time, um, it was a learning a lot about resiliency, I guess, um, and also learning about and being very impressed by how this big machine is able to adapt so quickly um, when the need calls for it. Um, people definitely stepped up. Um, which was amazing and um, rewarding to see. Um, you mentioned previously as a journalist to have a hook. So that way a person's interested or they're willing to spend additional time with you. In that case, the reading. Do you find yourself needing a hook as a leader? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I could sit in as many meetings as possible. I could try and enact as many um, propose or you know propose so many things. But if I have nobody's interest, it's never going to catch on, and no one's ever going to um, participate. Um, I think maybe my time at Mercy General definitely helped me gain uh, respect um, and from my Mercy General colleagues. Um, a lot of my Mercy General colleagues work at other sites, um, which also helped. Um, but now as vice chair, um, I have to make uh, help make decisions or help implement policies that affect five, five sites, um, five hospitals. And some of these hospitals, I don't, I don't know anybody there. Um, I, or maybe like a, a few, like last year, I didn't know very many people at Sierra Nevada, but now I'm making an effort to go out to Sierra Nevada, um, do shifts there, meet people, um, make relationships with the nursing staff, case managers, um, hospital leadership, um, kind of do the same thing I did at General, but now doing it at all five sites. Um, and so when I think about hooks, um, like if we have to make a, a schedule change, let's say. And so my my role as people and culture, I, I've also kind of scheduling, staffing is underneath my purview. Very emotional topic. <laughs> people have a lot, of, a lot of things to say about it, especially because we're a hospitalist group that is not seven on, seven off. We have this, what's nice about us is that we're very flexible. We, we are very, um, we, we try and let people be independent and autonomous in how they create their schedule, but we have to do it in a way that makes sure that we provide adequate staffing for our patients. Um, and so thankfully that hook is, is scheduling and so people will pay attention. <laughs> but I guess that's one example of, of how a, a hook is important. 
journalist, physician, leader, how how do you see your legacy taking shape? I I think when I first started, I, I definitely wanted to be a physician writer um, and maybe hopefully decades from now um, that will be the case. Um, currently, I want to say it's as a physician leader is my legacy. Um, uh, I still take care of patients. It brings me joy. Um, brings me satisfaction to to sit with a patient um, and kind of help guide them through their health journey and be with them through that. Um, and then as a leader, I want to be able to take those experiences to help inform the decisions I make as a leader that affect uh, the department. Um, the legacy, of course, is the story I leave behind. And so I could be a leader that like, you know, is kind of very firm and um, hard, I guess. And I, I kind of want to leave this legacy that as a physician leader, I'm kind, um, I'm approachable. And what I'm doing is for the, at the end of the day, what I'm doing is for the good, I have good intentions, good for the patient, good for the hospitalist or the department. Um, so hopefully every meeting I have, every presentation I do, <laughs> um, I leave people with that. Um, and that's kind of how I kind of want to leave my patients as well as like, I don't really give a lot of my story to them, but I want to listen and sit with them um, and hear what their issues are for that day um, or with their help um, so that I can tell their story in my documentation, how I talk to, to my my. Um, colleagues my the specialists as well um, what advice would you give for young individuals perhaps people in their mid to late 20s early 30s as they embark on on a leadership path what advice would you give to them be patient um work hard <laughs> no um I've always been a very hard worker, nose to the ground, and I and I, I tend to say yes to a lot of things, uh, not always thinking things through, like what I what I'm actually, you know, volunteering for. But I think in the end, it's a good thing. Um, be curious, ask questions. Um, that's part of story, I guess, storytelling, but also developing the story. Um, as long as you're constantly curious and inquisitive. Um, there are times when I think I, I've lost that a little bit and then I try and get it back. Um, but I think that's very important, um, not only in patient care, but just in life. If you're engaging people in conversation, whether it be about the weather, or sports, or healthcare, um, you are acknowledging that other person and you're acknowledging that they also have stories to tell. Um, and that hopefully is building something for the for your legacy so, so yeah my you advice are, to younger people no, ask questions be curious you were you, you were taking care of patients in right at you know in the heart of the pandemic you dealt with obviously all the changes and things changing you know minute by minute uh and obviously very you know uh high census in the hospital very sick patients and so forth being on the front line leslie how has that experience 
impacted your your view or your vision of leadership? I mean, the department leaders, the hospital leaders did a, a lot for us. I think they provided PPE um, when, I mean, I still have bags of used PPE that I, I have been saved, that I saved um, because there were times when it was, um, you know, a question of would we have enough? I mean, I have program coordinators um, at the very beginning um, and they're the ones who help kind of organize our day, help organize our census, but they would have like leftover 3M, like hardware uh, and 95 masks that they had from prior housing projects that they donated to us um, because we, they knew we were kind of <laughs> going out there taking care of patients. Um, so I was very impressed though by leadership kind of stepping up, hospital leadership stepping up. I was very impressed by um, my coworkers, my other physician leaders, um, putting in the extra hours, volunteering for extra shifts. Um, if people were sick, people stepped up into those open spots. Um, organizing kind of how patient, like what our patient panel size would look like, depending on some, like when we first started, we're like, well, let's try to limit the amount of exposure that people get. We don't want them to burn out. So we would have hot docs um, and we have like a, a core group of physicians coming in and they would only see COVID patients so that other people could have a break um, and not see COVID patients. Um, but that became unsustainable because COVID just became too much. Um, but I was just very impressed by how the leadership would take the time to listen to us um, and hear kind of our concerns and do their best to try and address them. Um, so. with, with your peers and your generation, Leslie, going forward after living through the, the COVID pandemic, what are their concerns for the future? You know, obviously the big picture future, but also personally in terms of being able to tell the story they want to tell, being able to leave the legacy they want to leave. I don't think I understand the question. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, Leslie. Bad question. Now I'm a bad interviewer. I just saying that you know we. I think a lot of people had sort of a set idea of life pre-pandemic. Then also we have the pandemic, and I think we all have maybe changed now. Probably what we think about our future, uh, maybe what we think about in terms of the stability, like when's the next pandemic going to hit, or when's the next big thing going to hit, and for you and your peers. You know how do how do you go forward now after living through the pandemic? Oh, I think we're definitely more resilient. Um, I feel like now after the pandemic, of course we're a little maybe a little jaded, <laughs> but um, because we 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 I want to use the serve, use the word survive, but we we came through it. Um, I think we feel like um, nothing can really phase us. Um, but then I, I also think um, we did a lot during those years. And I, I do feel like there is, not me personally, but I, I do feel that there might be a little residual, I don't know, not bitterness, but now we're coming through it and now we're taking care of patients and 
the expectation I think is a lot higher um, mm. for us um, also. So I think there's a little bit of that, um, but I do feel like as a, as a group of physicians, we did, we did come together. We did step up. We saw patients, we cared for them for, and um, cared for their families, you know, couldn't come in and see their, their loved ones. Um, we were acting as that kind of go between, between the patient and their families. Um, I think we feel stronger for that, but that's just me. I don't know if I can speak for everybody. <laughs> I want to th thank Dr. Tamer for her time during the interview. There's so much that she talked about that I think we can examine in terms of life and, and pivoting and in terms of legacy building. First, she had a clear vision. She always wanted to be involved in healthcare, but that vision took on different missions. And that's part of your legacy building is to have that vision and have it align with your mission. And the vision is long lasting, which is a key feature of design, but the mission can be different. It could be something new, something novel, which is another key component of design principle. She, her teacher, high school teacher, knows that she had a gift of writing. I think that's very important in terms of relationships, of being honest with each other and having people from different walks of life, different sectors, and being in tune when someone is gifting you with a compliment or a recognition of a gift that you yourself may not have recognized. She was able to hear that, take it, and go in a slightly different direction than she anticipated but not necessarily something that was going to distract her or take her away from her original vision, which is healthcare. She went into writing, but she focused on healthcare and she built relationships. She talked about having a beat, similar to having a panel of patients. The story started off as perhaps one piece or one time stories, but she got to know people and she got to have stories that ran deeper. And she wanted to help people tell her story, tell their stories. And again, the focus was on health. Eventually, she did get back to her original plan to get into healthcare by being a physician. And here is, again, a slight pivot. She went from wanting to tell stories to helping people perhaps shape or maybe even edit their stories through advocacy. And throughout her career, her careers as a journalist and as a physician, she talked about relationships and how important they were and how important they are in terms of storytelling and moving the narrative forward by building strong relationships. Then she talked about her time as a leader. Again, it goes back to relationships. She went into leadership because she wanted to help her peers. She wanted to help her peers navigate through uh, this labyrinth of what modern healthcare is in America in terms of the physician working with pharmacists, nurses, physical therapists, insurance companies, care coordination, and so forth. What she did was to focus again on the relationship and how to validate the relationships. That's why I talked about in previous episodes is that leadership is the validation of relationships. She understood how difficult, how time-consuming a physician's work is, 
and how those duties, they're owing 24 hours a day, and how those duties take away from patient care, which is why the vast majority of people go into medicine. From her leadership spot, she wanted to help people restore their original desire, which is to uh, work with patients. I think that her, her story, going from journalist to physician to physician leader, it paints a great picture of legacy. It talks about her having a vision of, again, always wanting to help people to be in their lives, to improve their lives. And her mission took on different routes. The first mission was writing stories, getting people aware of situations, raising that awareness. Then her next mission was that getting back to helping people on a more individual level and on a more personal level, more immediate level. And now her third mission in terms of her story arc is leadership. Again, to work with her fellow uh, physicians, her peers, in order that they can tell their stories of what they want, telling stories of BMO have enough time to work with their patients, having the stories of BMO have good outcomes for their patients. Great uh, example in terms of legacy building, in terms of leadership, and in terms of uh, uh, the importance of, again, relationships. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, I'm always grateful, and I do welcome your feedback. My email address is rfong at truenorthshepherding.com. And if you're interested in exploring how to build your legacy or building your leadership, looking for mentorship through the lens of design, intentionality, I invite you to visit my website and sign up for a complimentary session on how we can work together. My website is truenorthshepherding.com. My next episode, I will talk about loving kindness. Is that part of your legacy? Is patience part of your legacy? Is the willingness to give more than you receive part of your legacy? And does it stem from loving kindness? Until then, please take the time and attention to care for your legacy, because when you do, we all benefit. Mm -hmm.